Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who faced trials head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Wonderful to be with all of you modern day Esthers again today. And today, this is a serious moment. We're going to have fun. Certainly we'll laugh and experience the joy of the Lord. But today we're going to talk about overcoming a life of trauma. My guest today is a trauma survivor. She's also a two-time award-winning author, speaker, and the host of Pretty, P-R-E-T-T-Y, podcast. She'll tell us a little bit more about that. She has a powerful story and wisdom that comes from helping others overcome trauma. The words that she shares are written from a place of brokenness, but healing too. She addresses these topics in her new book, Cross Addicted, Breaking Free from the Family Trauma and Addiction. Would you please welcome today to the program, my guest, Paula Jausch. Hey, Paula. Hey, Don. I'm really excited to be here, but I'm also excited to be um, interviewed by Don herself because during my healing journey, I was stalking you. You might not know that, <laughs> uh-huh. but I, I just, I heard like when I, it was so, you know, it's so funny how, and I was thinking about this Don before I hopped on. Okay. Full circle. Here's a woman that I was kind of stalking, looking up to wishing that I could heal. And now here I am today being interviewed um, by her, but that's just to give the listener hope that this can be them too. Right. Yeah, that, that I just, my eyes are full right now of tears, um, brings so much joy to my heart, because I watched you in that metamorphosis. I've seen that healing and all glory to God, but you are such a radiant, beautiful woman and such a trophy of God's grace and his healing. And I'm so proud of you. Godly proud, you know, I really am. I'm just so thankful. And I want the listener to hear your story. And I'm going to tell you from the right at the top, thank you for your vulnerability. As we said before we started recording and just in prayer, even thank you for your willingness to share your story and open up your heart and let us have a glimpse into that. I'm a survivor too. I, I understand the depth of courage and bravery that it takes to do that. But Say hello to the listener. Tell us a little bit about you. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's an honor to share my story. And I always show up for just the one. And so if you're just the one listening today, I want to say welcome. And what I mean by just the one is that if I can help just one person, that's why I continue to share my story. I live in West Michigan. I'm married to my husband of 10 years. We're a blended family. And we have four babies and two grandkids. So... And I, I speak and I write, and it's still crazy to say that. I never thought that I'd be an author and a speaker, <laughs> but here I am. You know, you say that you never thought that you would be, and I exactly know what that means. And yet the paradox is this, at the same time, I always felt like God wanted to use my life in some kind of special way. Did you feel, yeah. ever have that sense that there was more to your life? Yeah. Cause you know, when I was a little girl and going through all the abuse, I always felt different. And I always felt like there's a different life out there. There was, 
it's, you know, six, seven, and eight, that's, that helped me get through a lot of my abuse and trauma. Cause I always dreamed like, even though the horrible stuff that was happening to me, I always like, there's gotta be a better life out there. And I know one day I'm going to find it. And I feel like I held on to that and I don't know where it came from, but I think back then it was just God's hand on my life, to be honest. Yes. Well, you know, the Bible's really clear that without a vision, we will perish. Yes. And he was so faithful to give you a vision. Like you saw something more for your mm-hmm. life and it carried you, it kept you alive and brought you to where you are today, believing in that yeah. very thing, that there's more yeah. for me. Yeah. So let's yeah. get into it. Our Tell us about your childhood. It was turbulent. It was yeah. difficult. Save more. I will, um, I will say that, but I want to go piggyback real quick on the vision thing. Cause it's just interesting because, um, you know, when I was going through all these horrific things as a child, I did have this vision that there's a way out. And, you know, looking back now to, as an adult woman, that's kind of what's kept me focused is the vision. Like, I know there's a vision and just following that vision. And I think that's so key because there's probably key listeners today saying, I have this vision, but I don't just know how to get to it. So as as you hear my story today, as you hear my story of healing, and as you hear my story of overcoming, I just want to encourage you like to take notes because if I can get out, if Don can get out and so can you. So, yeah. So I grew up in a small town in Indiana. It's a really small farm town. It was called Terre Haute and we lived on a farm, but my father was an alcoholic and a drug addict and he would disappear for like a long time. And then he would come back home. But when he came back home, you just never knew what was going to happen. Sometimes he would come back home with a couple girlfriends, violently rip my mom out of bed to cook for his girlfriends. Um, guns were held to her head. And I would hear the, the abuse. I would hear the, the um, glass breaking. I would see the violence. And I had five siblings, but we were just confused. We knew that it wasn't right, but this is our mom and our dad. And as kids, how can we protect, you know, when we're scared ourselves? But as this violence, and my father was very abusive to us children as well, but as this abuse continued, something that I did, and I didn't know that I was doing it at the time, is my mind, I learned to block out pain and I learned to block out memories because when you, there's a lot of people that experience traumatic events where, whether it's divorce, death, parents, divorcing, you know, child abuse or neglect. But I feel when you, when it's abuse after abuse or neglect after neglect, you, you some way have to just survive. And that's what happened to me is I went into survival mode. And so By the time I got to third grade, I'd sit in the classroom and I would see the teacher up there teaching that I would sit in the classroom for years. And the only way I know how to explain it is I would hear wah, 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 wah. And so by the time I got to fourth grade, I was way behind. By the time I got to fifth grade, I was way behind. Sixth grade, I was really, really behind in school and nobody really picked it up. I mean, so I remember one day going, um, then my dad got this idea of we're going to move from the small town to Las Vegas. And so that was in the, actually in the middle of my third grade school year, but um, he did something and my father's no longer living. So I could share parts of his story, but he actually burned our house down and to collect insurance money. So we all like saw and heard and just saw our house just burn down. And he moved us to Vegas to like the middle in the middle of my third grade year, but the trauma was just stacking, getting worse. 
when we moved to Vegas, my dad's addiction got worse. By the time I got to sixth grade, I remember somebody bringing some alcohol into the bathroom and asked me to try it. But I remember when the alcohol hit my lips and I was 13 years old, I was like, whoa, something came over me. Like I can conquer the world. Like I feel like I can conquer the world. And so that led me toward more children who were kind of getting in trouble, drinking, and then started experimenting with drugs. Um, by this time, my father got in trouble with the law and it was pretty bad. Um, and he was all over the news for like a year. The police were constantly at my house, raiding my house. Um, it was a horrible time. And the way that my mother escaped that when she had six kids is she found her own addiction because we are new in Vegas. She started gambling. So she would just stay at the casinos for weeks. And me, my siblings or I are like, what do we do with food? And I was the second to the youngest. And I had a little brother who I knew I needed to take care of. And so in the middle, like at nighttime, I would like run to these casinos, like running through streets, running through alleys, going to back these casinos, just searching and searching for my mom. And sometimes I would find her and she would hand me like this change. She wouldn't even talk to me. She'll just hand me some change. And then I'll hold on to that change. And I'm like booking it home. And, um, I would go get my little brother and we would go to circle K and just get some food, whatever we could afford. But literally my dad was in prison now and my mom had her own addiction and these siblings, we were just trying to raise each other and it just got really bad. And what happened for me is in the seventh grade, I met this guy, you know, when you grow up in brokenness, you're just hungry for love. You're searching for love. You're looking for belonging and, we, where we moved in Las Vegas, it was a high crime rate, a lot of gangs. And so I met this kid who was a gang member and his family was in a gang and they jumped me in. And what I mean by that is men took me out to the desert and literally beat the crap out of me so I could be a part of this gang. But Hey, I felt loved. I felt accepted, you know, and what came out of that is, um, I ended up getting pregnant at 15 years old, you know? and gave birth to my son, but it was just, it was crazy insanity, Don. I could, I could go on and on about my story of just what trauma did, what addiction did, what abuse did. And um, by the time I got into ninth grade and I was having my baby, you know, the teachers didn't know what to do with me anymore because I, at that point, I had so much anger, like from because when I was born, I was given away for like, just family were passing me around. And what I did not know is I had inside of me and you can't really see it but inside of me. Like this was like a deep root of rejection and abandonment that was just controlling me. But you have to, as I'm sharing my story today, you have to remember that I couldn't label that as an eight-year-old. I couldn't label that as a 15-year-old teen mom that was pregnant, right? I didn't know the help I needed. So by the time I got I was pregnant my freshman year. I was out of control, angry, into the gang violence. And I remember one day going to class and it was like my breaking point, one of my breaking points. And I laid my head on the table because I was super tired, but I was hungry because there was no food in my house and I was pregnant. And I remember I fell asleep. And when I woke up, like all these kids were laughing at me and I got so upset that they were making fun of me that I like picked up this round table seven months pregnant and dumped it on these kids. And I just like, it took lots of teachers to control me and they ended up just kicking me out and putting me in a behavior school. And this behavior schools where a lot of gang members went, there was a lot of 
drug dealing, drug abuse. And I got pregnant again, uh, my senior year. But by the time I went through this behavior school, I was like, what do I do now? Where do I go? But there was a teacher, you know, one person in that school that started befriending me who started caring. And she told me about like section eight housing authority. Cause I'm like, where do I live? You know, what do I do now? And, um, I went and applied for section eight housing, which is government assistance. And I was able to move in at 18 years old with my two kids. So I wasn't homeless, but I got pregnant again by the gang member at 18 at 21 and his physical abuse was so bad. Um, I'm very lucky that I survived it a lot. I, I had to go through a lot and when I went to get a job after I graduated from high school, I applied for a few jobs. In my very first interview, these ladies came out and they were looking at my application and they're like, ma'am, do you have um, trouble spelling? And I walked away like, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. I don't, I don't know what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was reading, I was literally reading and writing at a third grade level. Mm-hmm. You know, my education was just horrible. And I didn't know what to do, but I went and applied at a daycare and I did get a job there. And I remember the lady that was working with me, she would always come in smiling and she was super happy, but I was still with the gang member being abused. And, um, you know, one day she told me, she's like, Jesus loves you and he wants to heal your heart. And I'm like, okay, who's Jesus? You are weird. Like, just get away from me. I don't, but in that two year relationship, with her is that she always knew when I was going through something bad, she always knew when I need encouragement. And I think that's the beautiful gift of the Holy spirit that we all need to pay attention to and be sensitive. Cause if somebody's really hurting or if somebody really needs that encouragement, you might be the one to speak into their life to actually save their life. She would always tell me, Jesus loves you. And he wants to heal your heart. Well, after I had my third baby and the abuse was getting bad, at 21 years old, the trauma was really bad. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. You know, I've seen my father attempt suicides many times. I know what to do. So I went into the closet to, um, attempt suicide. And my baby was six months. I had a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And as I sent the closet to take my life, I just kept seeing her and hearing her, Jesus loves you. And he wants to heal your heart. And I'm like, I remember being really upset and mad, like get out of my head, get out of my, like, you know, but it would not leave. So I just screamed and I'm like, Jesus, who are you? Who the freak are you? I want to know you. And it just started punching the ground. Mm. And my oldest, who was six years old, he walked in and he's like, I hate you, mommy. You all you do is cry. And I heard this voice said, get up get up. You don't have to be like your parents, get up. And so I just walked out to the living room. I wasn't sure what was going on. I set my children on the couch that were three, six months and six years old. And I was like, mommy's never going to be the same again. I don't know what just happened, but we're going to like figure this out. And I called that woman who had took me to church once and I, and she told me where to go back to church. And so the next day, because I was in the gang life, I had no life skills. I was living on housing welfare. I took my kids to church the following Sunday. I had a big earring in my ear, like this big, a bar, a big one in my tongue. I had my black makeup on. I had a half shirt and booty, little, little shorts. And I walked into church and 
looking back now, I know why, but this lady kind of scooched me into a room, you know, with my three little, you new here, are you looking for like, a where? and she put my kids in a class, but instead of going to a church service, she just actually spoke into me. And I think she knew that I was really, really broken. I think she knew that I wasn't familiar with going to church and I'll never forget her name. So the teacher in high school that you know, spoken to me and helped me with housing authority, the woman at my job who told me Jesus loves me, who saved my life. And to the woman who took me in that room that day, which that woman that took me in the room that day, we became really good friends. And she started mentoring me just like basic life skills about being a woman and how to dress. And I had so much of that in my life, Don, like, you know, I always love the scripture. I think it's in Psalm 68, six or 68, um, Psalm 68, five or something is that God places the lonely and families and that he's a father to the fatherless. And it's so true. It's like he, this whole journey, he's placed me in families, but it wasn't always easy because I always had that pain in my heart of that rejection and abandonment. And so through my years of healing, there was a lot of patterns and behaviors I couldn't get rid of. Patterns of eating disorder, binging and purging for 20 plus years. That was the biggest stronghold until I learned that um, no food, no, will ever fill that emotional void. You know, it was just such a deep root that I actually had to let Jesus sit with. And it was really, really scary for me, you know, and um, go ahead. Well, I'm just, I just didn't want to interrupt you in any way because your story is just so amazing. Um, but I also want to just honor you and what you experienced by listening intently and attuning to your heart. You said uh, so many things and I'm thinking about, you know, from being a little girl to experiencing, yes, the root of rejection perhaps even came in while you were still in the womb rejection can attack us. You learn to dissociate. Did you say you were in the third grade or so? Um, and that makes sense that no learning came to you after you learned how to dissociate or compartmentalize that that's where you stopped developing and growing. And I think about spiritual the, the realities of generational curses that no wonder you took one drink of alcohol and bam, the hook was put in there of alcoholism. Um, not that I don't know that you became an alcoholic, but that, that alcohol just had to have hit that genetic uh, predisposition and spiritual right, if you will, of the enemy and you got hooked. So, you know, when God tells us we've been made in his image, body, soul, and spirit, you can see the three prong attack where the enemy comes against our body, against our, our soul and against the, our spirit, man, the fact that you, the fact that, that you were on a path to deliverance and you didn't know it, that yeah. three women yeah. in your lives were, oh, if you were having a race and the baton was put into the hand of the next woman and we yeah. can't underestimate our, our influence in the lives of people. Can we? So, you can't, you can't. And, and, you know, too, is like, I didn't realize this and it's kind of what I teach and I preach on, but I didn't realize this all along that God was taking me to my deliverance. Mm 
Like I didn't understand it, but I had to, and, and a lot of people don't get this, but I had to go through the inner healing process first. I had to go through healing the child within. I had to learn a little bit about my past. Like I didn't know two days after I was born, I was handed off and you're right. Boom. Like right then and there, that seed of rejection and abandonment got placed in me, even in my mother's womb with all her struggles. And it's funny that you say that because I'm um, in my book, I talk about generational patterns, generational strongholds. And I talk about, I had asked God, help me put everything in this book to help somebody break free. Like, but it's, but it's literally my story, but what I had to go through and like what I, I had to learn. And this is what breaks my heart the most on. And I'm sure that you've seen this. People don't believe that they can get delivered. They don't believe that they can get free because they went to the church and got prayed over one time and, and they're like, nothing happened. Right. Like for me to even develop into a woman, there's so many things to, to develop into a healthy mom, to develop into a wife. It took years of breaking strongholds, renewing the mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know, Absolutely. Sitting, in a, sitting in a chair, a therapy chair for years, working through the trauma that happened to me. Yep. And absolutely no shame in doing that. In fact, um, good for you to do that because the Bible talks about how we have to possess our soul. So salvation comes to us, but then the sanctification, this healing process where we're possessing more and more in, uh, of our soul and, and coming back to the original design of God is not for the faint of heart. His grace is with you, I'm sure, but I understand it too, because there were triggers and patterns and habits and coping skills and layers <laughs> and layers of things that what's that, what's that Don? <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, now that I think about it, um, are we ever truly all the way healed? You know, we we it's always well, it's, the Lord's grace, you know, the Lord's grace and man, um, I, that's another thing that I teach on a lot because my patterns, my addictions, my bad habits used to keep me hiding in isolation until one day the Holy spirit was like, you'll never get free when you stay away from me. But when you're struggling with these things, he said, push into me. And it was like, I, it like gave me the biggest breakthrough. Like, Oh Jesus, I could tell you that like, I want to binge. I could tell you that like, I had the urge to cut, you know, cause I was a cutter and my like, so that's how I started to get breakthrough in my addiction. Instead of running from Jesus, instead of running from the presence of God, I ran into the presence because being in the presence of the Lord is what actually frees you, you know? Being yeah. in the worship, being in his word, being in relationship, you know? Yes. So. And I, it's the natural response, I think, of Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, after they sinned and they experienced that fear for the first time. And then God comes, he's walking in the cool of the day. And, and what do they do? You know, they run and they hide. Yeah. They hide. And that's what that's what humanity does. We hide and we isolate and, and we want to, we want to stay in the little corner or um, hidden. Did you ever want to hide, you know, and who traffics in the darkness, if not Satan himself, you know, the demonic realm. And, and when we bring things out into the light, you know, that's where, you know, healing does come, but did you ever have a difficult time wanting to I mean, after salvation, you're down this road, you're, you're getting honest with yourself. 
you know, I think relapse is a part of recovery. Was there ever a time where you just felt like you were just too far gone? Um, So I had many relapses, many, many, many relapses. But now, Don, looking back at those relapses, I would have a relapse and it would get darker and darker and I would stay there. But that made me rebound and come back quicker. Like that made me like, I'll give you an example. Like, wow, I have to fight for me. I have to renew my mind. I have to recognize my emotional triggers. I have to realize the lies that I've been believing. You know, I, I love the scripture in Matthew 15, 13, where it says uproot every root that was not planted by your heavenly father. Like I had to uproot it and do that deep emotional work because the trauma therapist was amazing. My mentors were amazing, but there came a point in my life where Paula was responsible for Paula, where what I did in public and what I did behind closed doors between me and Jesus, something had to shift. Do you know what I mean? And so like, for instance, you know, telling, sitting in the chair and telling my trauma therapist, I binged and purged today. I had to get to the point and saying, Jesus, I know you can deliver me of this and I'm going to sit at your feet until I get this deliverance, you know? And so, um, it's for me personally, I will always say it's work. It's, it's work, but I do know the end goal and the end result is that Jesus does want us free. Jesus does want us free. And I don't know about you, but being a trauma survivor, one thing I'm learning right now in life, that it's okay to have joy. I never thought that I was like worthy of joy and worthy of fun. Like I, like even my husband now, he's, I'm not proud of this, but he is my third husband, but it took me a long time to say, Oh, he's healthy. And I can actually enjoy him. Like I thought I needed to always be like broken and act all dysfunctional to him. And like one day, the Holy spirit, when I was being so dysfunctional, like four to five years of marriage, the Holy spirit's like, what are you doing? I'm bringing you a good, I brought you a good husband and you're just dysfunctional. Like you don't have to be dysfunctional anymore. Right. Yeah. And you know what? My husband, since we've been married for 10 years, you're beautiful. I love you. The morning kiss and the good night kiss. And it was like, it's okay to do that. I could kiss him back and say, I love you too. Like, but, but because I was abused and love was withheld from me, it was like, that's how I showed up, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. And, you know, we do have an emotional addiction. Um, you grew up feeling rejected or you grew up feeling mm-hmm. the, the pain or you, or needs not being met. And so we do reenact that as we get older, if all of a sudden needs are being met and we're not being rejected, but we're being given love. It's like, well, that's foreign and it's uncomfortable and it's not an emotion that I'm accustomed to. So let me create chaos so I can get back to what I'm, what I'm familiar. There's a lot to it. And we're, and I'm, you know, thanks be to God who brings us the freedom and deliverance. And so as you're moving forward, so then you, I want to say one thing, and then I want to talk about your book because then you take your story and you make it available for others. And I'm sure it was fair, very therapeutic and healing and helpful, but you talk about being numb, or maybe that's my word, but you talked about just, you learned how to shut it down and compartmentalize. Uh, Many people don't always understand the nuance of cutting. And you just mentioned that you were a cutter. And I think that isn't that part of feeling. So sometimes I know people want behaviors to stop, stop cutting, stop doing this, stop doing that. But the bigger issue is 
And you know, too, though, it's, it's so funny, though, because now, like, I speak to teenagers, and I speak to people. And because, because people know me as that trauma expert, then I'll get those people like, you don't have a degree, you know, so then, but you know what I always do? I always say, I'm going to come at you with my experience. I'm going to come at you with my experience. Do you think that as a teenage girl and that I wanted to sit there and cut my legs and cut my arms? And and I've had to think about this when I hear like, oh, my daughter's a cutter and I'm going to do this. And parents are trying to diagnose her. And then I had an eating disorder. And Don, that's what my next book's going to be about is my eating disorder because it, I read every book out there. I tried every therapy out there. I tried overeating anonymous food addiction, anonymous. Like I wanted help. Nothing helped me. Um, and again, 26 years later that I'm free, I never thought I was going to get free from it, but now I'm free. And I'm thankful now that I went through it for 26 years because now I can teach on it and I can teach the misery of it. But here's my point of telling you cutting for years eating disorder for years, it was pain that I could not describe. It was, and this is just me. I'm not a trauma expert, but I am a trauma survivor. I know now from my own studying, I have a nervous system and my nervous system, my whole life has been on fight, flight and freeze. Right. And so I have experienced like, you know, I didn't, you'll have to read my book, but my father would hit with a two by four. He would choke us. He was a big man. That's, I grew up fighting men. I would fight men. I thought it was normal. Right. So, so my, my point of sharing that is, is that I had taken trauma and just stuffed it everywhere. And it was like, my eating disorder was more of just fear and control and emotions. I did not know what to do with. And I believe that my cutting went away and my eating disorder went away. When Jesus said, you're okay. Now we're going to fill this. We're going to walk through it. You know, you're safe. And, and I'm going to show you how to feel it without being re-traumatized. Yeah. Help you experience and feel what you're feeling. That's a good word. Yeah. Feeling it without being re-traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. And also that Don, I just want to piggyback one more thing on that. Sometimes you have to be in a really safe place to be able to do that. And it breaks my heart the most. Like I work with a a lot of survivors and for some reason, God's sending sex trafficking survivors to me. And you know, what breaks my heart the most They're trying to build a new life while healing from trauma. And it's just like, they're trying to get a house or a car or a job. And it just breaks my heart that they just can't go heal for a while, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's facilities out there, but just not enough. Not enough. Right. And, and that's what I was kind of referring to because, you know, we think, you know, I'm, I'm working with some young girls as well. And it's like, we, we want behavior to change. So go get the job and do the right thing and stop doing this and stop doing that. And, you know, and, and let's just pray and all that, but, and that's all good, but it's just not enough. It's not complete. The the complete story is that when you see that relapse or you see them fall back again, understand that that's trauma trapped and they're still working it out. It's not like, Oh, I, and sometimes, um, you know, that mindset that you talked about renewing your mind, you're worthy of joy. You're worthy of good things. You don't have to sabotage it. You don't have to trash your future. 
And, And it's okay to have faith and hope in something beautiful happening for you. So oh, some yeah. people, you know, it's just hope is yeah. dangerous and I don't yeah. want hope. So let me mess yeah. it up before I, yeah. Yeah. Before the you know, from under me, there's a, a sex trafficking survivor I've been doing like trauma healing with for a year and a half, but she's like ready. She wants to heal. And I raised some money. I just asked for some people to help me to get her a car into a safe house. And it was just a beautiful thing. Like for the first time she's in her own place. And then people just started donating furniture and stuff. And she's like, I can't believe this. But one of the most beautiful things she said, because she's been in so many treatment houses or living with people, she goes, it's a beautiful thing that as I'm healing from my trauma, that I can take a nap and nobody's going to wake me up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you, it, it, yeah. yeah, so I do. Yeah. 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 And this was good. <laughs> Good stuff. So the book is called, tell us again, it is. um, So I have um, cross addicted, um, breaking free from family trauma and addiction. And the cross addicted means somebody who has numerous addictions. If you like familiar with addiction terminology, but I'm going to take you from being cross addicted to become addicted to the cross of Christ, which leads to healing and freedom. Um, if you're not ready to buy my book yet, you can find me on the Version Bible app. And I have a seven day devotion called letting go of family trauma and addiction. And um, my heart and my mission is just to create resources to help people heal And like Don said earlier, I have the pretty podcast and pretty stands for where we face our pain, our rejection, our experiences that led to trauma and let it be a training ground to find yourself. That's the pretty podcast. (laughs) Love it. And I'm sure a pretty podcast is on Apple, Spotify. Yes. Okay. That's wonderful. And if they want to have, have more, have someone's listening and they want to interview you or have you come speak or they want more about you, where can we find you? My website, paulajouch.com. Paula Jouch. And that's J-A-U-C-H.com. Yeah. And then I, I'm on all over Facebook, but especially Instagram. That's, I was so intimidated by Instagram, but it's became my favorite. (laughs) You know, there's so many things to choose from. Um, Good job. (laughs) I'm going to master the Instagram one of these days, little big steps at a time. But thank you for rising up. Thank you for sharing your story. As I mentioned before, I will say as my sister, I'm so sorry for the things that you had Mm -hmm. to experience. That's not what God Mm -hmm. ever had in mind for you. But just like Joseph in the Old Testament, who said to his brothers, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God didn't design it, but he certainly does take our pain and our trauma, your pain, your trauma. And he says, no, I'm going to make something beautiful out of this. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to see your beautiful. Well, I received that. And thank you so much, Don. It's such an honor to be interviewed by Don. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening today, all you modern-day Esthers now. This is my moment to ask you a question, and I really mean this. Is it your moment to arise? I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts? 
so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at ariseester.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit dawndamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.